Father, we are so grateful for your word to us today. Lord, we know that you see all things, and we see through a glass dimly. Lord, we see shadows, and we see just fragments of what you really are. And we can't even imagine, as we sang earlier, we can't even imagine what you have in store for us. We can't even imagine how, how much you love us. And yet we walk so often blindly, stumbling around, because we do just that. We walk in doubt. We don't walk in faith. So if God forgive us today, forgive us for that time where we walk in our own sight. Forgive us, Father, for the time that we walk in our own means, the way that we think we can understand. And, and because we're afraid to st- take a step out, forgive us today. Be with us. Fill us up with your spirit, I pray. Fill us up, Holy Spirit, to new levels to new levels of fullness, that we would just bubble over and that we would just just boil over in the goodness of God's grace. We love you, Jesus, and we're thankful for all that you are for us. Thank you for meeting our needs. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for loving us as you do. In Jesus' name, amen. A lot of things happening right now. We're living in a in a really interesting time, unprecedented, I think, in all times that we've lived in in the past, in my life for sure. Um, so we just have to be in prayer for lots of things, right? Keep again, keep the Stevens family in prayer and for other needs. Thank you for praying this morning. Thank you, Pastor Rip. Awesome job. So this morning we're going to continue to speak on Revelation chapter twenty, and. Um, I hope that you're able to stay with me on this teaching. I know it may not appear necessarily relevant for today because we're talking about things that are going to be happening in the future. That's what prophecy is. Um, but I think that it's important that we understand that, first of all, when it comes to um, prophecy, it's important to speak about it. Larry, can I have my slides, please? Everything God does... Remember, everything God does is for redemption. Everything he does, even the hard things in life, is for our redemption. So we just always have to keep that in mind. The last time we met, not last Sunday, because last Sunday we had a special service with Jimmy Evans on the tipping point, but uh, the last time we talked about this, we, we asked the question, why is prophecy important? And we spent quite a bit of time talking about that. Maybe you can remember some of those points, but quite honestly, the reason that prophecy is really important is because it proves who God is. It proves that God says some things and then he can do what he says. It proves his, it, it proves his, his, his faithfulness in his past and it also proves that he's going to be faithful in the future because he fulfills Prophecy, as we've been able to witness it, looking backwards, we know that if he fulfilled the prophecies of the past, which he'll, which he has done, he'll also fulfill the prophecies of the future, and so that gives us great hope. And I hope that we can uh, we can appreciate that. And then I also want to just go back, and I want to remind you one more time that there is a blessing, there is a blessing for those that study Revelations. 
Revelations chapter 1, the first three verses, it says, The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He who he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And here is the point. Verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Man, I don't think there's anything more relevant right now than studying Revelation, because the time is near. If it was near then, how much more near is it, is it today? How can they say it was near when it was written 2,000 years ago? Because in God's perspective, time is really a non-issue. What we need to be thinking about and living about is anticipation that everything God said is going to happen is going to happen soon. Probably could well be in our lifetime. So it's encouraging and it's a blessing for us. Are you ready? Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to be blessed of God? Then obey his word. And this is a promise of blessing here that if he, if we read and study the book of Revelations, that he will bless us. And I want that. I desire that. And I pray that you do as well. So to put us in where we're, where we're at today, what we're going to be talking about today in Revelations 20, this is after the church has been raptured. So you get a context of time. It's after the seven-year tribulation is over. It's after the second coming of Jesus, where he comes to judge and conquer Satan and all of Satan's administration. This is after the judgment of the sheep and goats, where the evil people are killed and the righteous ones are ushered into the thousand-year reign with Christ in their natural mortal flesh. Right? There's going to be those that are going to survive the, the, the tribulation. They're going to be believers in Christ as a result of the missionaries, 144,000 Jewish missionaries, and the two witnesses and the angel that is, the gospel angel that is administered and to all the world. There will be those that will be saved. Most of the people that are saved in that time will be martyred. But there will be a remnant of Jewish and Gentile believers that will live and will enter into the millennial reign alive. This is after the resurrection of all saints. The resurrection of all saints. And that includes the Old Testament saints. There will be an Old Testament resurrection. When Jesus comes back, the second coming, there will be Old Testament saints resurrected. Obviously before that, well, the church will have been resurrected. That was the seven, the seven years prior to that. And then certainly all the tribulation saints will be res- resurrected at that time. And they will have immortal bodies. We will have immortal bodies at that time. We will be in our spiritual, in our heavenly bodies for all eternity. So our focus today is what happens in this time and how will those that are alive and living, how will they live? What will happen during the millennial reign? Do you ever think about that? I think about it quite a bit. Here's our text. Revelation chapter 20, beginning at verse 7. It says, when the thousand years are over... Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. 
They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you now in Jesus' name and asking you one more time that you would just help us discern your word. Give us the wisdom. Give us the understanding that you would have us to have. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're told here in this passage that Satan and his demonic horde will be locked up for a thousand years. And after that thousand year period is over, they will be released for a season. And that purpose of their releasing will be, de- will be to deceive and to uh, gather a large army of as many people as they can to one more time fight against God. Satan is still in his stupidity and ignorance, thinks he can beat God. But before all that happens, what's the condition of the world during the millennial reign? What is the condition of the world? What are we? That's what we're going to talk about. And, and we're going to find here that John the Revelator doesn't say much on this. He doesn't go into much detail at all. But fortunately, there are passages throughout Scripture. In fact, there are many passages in the Old Testament that prophetically talk about the millennial reign. John simply states the facts that there will be a thousand-year period of God's reign. And then he talks about what happens at the end. But here's that big gap of a thousand years that John doesn't go into much detail. But fortunately, some of the Old Testament prophets did. And we can glean a lot from them. So I, I look at this as a very exciting study because it, it gives us the ability to understand really what God has in store. And, and, and when I read Old Testament prophecies, which we're going to get into today, it's very exciting to think that God has something yet in store. We often, when I was growing up thinking that, you know, my teaching as a kid growing up, that the rapture was over and it was it. End of the world. Done. Over. No, God has so much more in store for this world because he loves this world that he created and the way he created it. And he loves his people and he has many, many things in store. So as we talk about the things that we're going to talk about, you have to remember that we will be in our resurrected heavenly bodies. So what I'm going to be talking about here the next few minutes, we talk about what's happening on this world. We will not be susceptible to any more sin. You will not be susceptible to any more deception. You will be the ruling class, if you will, of this what's happening in this period of time because we will be in our heavenly bodies and we will be reigning with Christ. So be encouraged over that. It's awesome, good stuff. So first, we need to go back and, and look at the environment that is hap- the, the, you know, what's, what's the world's condition immediately after the tribulation, immediately after the second coming of Christ, What's the condition of the world? Well, without going back and reading the 21 judgments that we've already spoken about, the seal judgments and the bowl judgments and the, uh, the, the trumpet judgments, we can just say that there will have been major earthquakes, that mountains will have been toppled, that cities will have been destroyed, that oceans will be filled with blood and all the living creatures will be will have died. All the freshwater systems have been contaminated. The world is in, in is just totally destroyed. The wild beasts are devouring people and the natural order of life is in total chaos. 
It is just basically more than what we can. It's worse than what Hollywood can even put on a movie. It's going to be that bad. The earth will be ruined. And it would take years and years and years if it would even be possible for it to recover on its own. So it's in a really bad state of condition. But God, but God, (laughs) but God supernaturally intervenes and puts things back into their perfected state and he reestablishes peace and serenity of what he originally created in the Garden of Eden. Remember, in God's original creation, he did not intend it to be the way it is. He created it perfectly. He created man to be in perfect relationship with himself. He created Adam and Eve bodies, their bodies, to live forever. Death was not part of God's creation. It was a result of the fall, a result of sin. Chaos of this world that we're in today is a result of sin. And if it wouldn't have been for sin, we would not be in the condition that we're in today. So God miraculously puts creation and all things created back into perfect harmony that will last for this entire thousand-year period. This is not the new heavens and a new earth, so don't go there. That's coming later, but there's going to be a thousand years living on this earth in a recreated state that will result in perfection and great peace. Remember, God loves his creation. He loves it. Remember what he said when he created, after every day of creation, what did God say? It is good. It is good. And then after he created man, he said it is very good. (laughs) So God was pleased with what he created. And he is not going to let the devil win here. He's going to show the devil that he can put it back the way it was. And he's going to be very good with it. And that's what that thousand-year environment is going to be like. The Old Testament prophets were given visions of what this time would be like thousands of years prior to where we're at right now. Psalms chapter 96 says this in verse 11. It says, Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Remember, it was dead. Right? The sea was dead. Now he's saying, let it resound and everything that's in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees in the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. The the writer of of Psalms can see it in his prophetic eyes. Isaiah says it this way in 35 uh, verses 1 and 2. It says, even the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. Those days are the days of the the millennium. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the the plain of Sharon. There the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. And there's many more other passages in the Old Testament that we don't have time to go go read. But the point is here. God is going to prove himself again to the generations that are living in that time of his greatness. And he's going to show Satan that he is ultimately God and Satan is nothing. And so it, God is is going to recreate this perfect environment, and he's going to be all-powerful and worthy of all praise. 
Isn't that cool that God will do that? Yeah. So let me talk about some specific things. What about the animals? What's, what are the animals going to be like at this time? You know, when we look at, again, go back through what we just read about what happens in the tribulation, you've got to recognize that most of them will have been destroyed. The Bible doesn't say anything about this. We just have to kind of speculate by what's going on. But the Bible is not, it doesn't say anything really about what happens to the animals or how they get back. How they come back. Are they, are they recreated? Or are those that survive, do they just multiply and, and grow? Or what happens? How do the animals get there? But we know that they will be changed and they will not be the state that they're in today. Because right now, animals fear humans. Animals have a built-in fear of human, of the human person. Even the ones that can kill us and destroy us, they're, they're afraid of us. Why is that? Well, because God put a fear in animals. Because he knew how evil men were. And so there is a natural fear and a natural animosity between nature. But let's read in Isaiah chapter 11 what it will be like in this millennial reign because God will reinstate peace in his creation, even with the animals. 11, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 9, it says, In that day, in that day, again, is in the millennial reign, in that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. Isn't that awesome that there will be harmony and peace once again, just as it was in the Garden of Eden between mankind and animals and nature? So what about people? We've already talked about that there's going to be people there, but there will be two distinct groups of people that will be occupying and ruling the earth during the millennial kingdom. The first group are those with resurrected, glorified bodies. That's us. We will be ruling with Christ on earth. The second group will be those with earthly mortal bodies, and they will be ruled by us, and they will be ruled by Christ. These are the people that lived through the tribulation and then were, that were allowed to then move into the, be the, the population that seeds the millennial. Um, the, the people that with glorified bodies, the church, we will never see temptation again. I think that's so important. I don't think we can really imagine what that's going to be like, that we will be in our glorified body and that we will have absolutely no desire or temptation or ability to sin. But those that have earthly mortal bodies, they have a life to live. Their story is not completed. So we just read... We just read the fact that there will be babies that will be playing with cobras and little children will lead the lions and the bears and all will be at peace. So let me ask you, again, we're talking about people now. Where did the babies come from? 
Yeah, because the babies aren't, they weren't part of the tribulation. So where are the babies coming from that are in the millennial reign? God will establish a thriving community of people that will populate the world. And remember, we're talking about a thousand years. A thousand years is a long time for us to imagine. Again, you know, our country is only 250 years old, so think about a thousand years. Think about how God can recreate and, 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 and perform great things in a thousand years. So there will be families, there will be marriages, there will be uh, uh, babies that will be born in the millennial reign. Isaiah chapter 65, 20 through 25, it, it tells us how some of these conditions will be like. He said, never again, never again will there be, will there be an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. So there will be long life given to humans, mortals, in this time. You know, we can read back in in Genesis where people live 600 years, 700 years, 900 years. That's the way it's going to be in the millennial reign. But it also says that God will rule, Jesus will rule with an iron scepter. So if, and this is going to be interesting to think about this, because if people, I'm talking about mortals now, if they do anything wrong, if they, if they disobey God's commands, they will be judged immediately. There's not a lot of grace period here. Because if a man lives to be a hundred and dies, then he's living, he's dying because Obviously, God's not pleased with him. It's not a natural death. There's no reason to, to die a natural death. The only reason he's dying is because he, he's disobeyed God's commands. Again, we can't quite grasp this, I don't think. But God's judgment will be immediate at that point in time. Verse 21, let's continue reading Isaiah 65. Verse 21, it says, They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and other and others will live in them or plant and others will eat. For as the days of, of a tree, how long can a tree live? For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. And my chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. So in this time, life will be normal and peaceful like we've never known. People will build homes. Families will be created. Businesses will be created. And they will flourish People will actually enjoy their work. They will enjoy the labor of their hands. For it says in verse 23, They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. So just like God brings immediate judgment to those that disobey, he brings immediate need or provisions for those that he will provide the need even before they speak it. So for the righteous, it's going to be a great world. It's going to be perfection beyond what we can even begin to to imagine, that God will supernaturally provide things. You know, we read in the Old Testament how God provided manna and quail for the Israelites, right? In the in the in the um while they were in the in the desert. Well, there's going to be things like that, that God is just going to supernaturally provide things. 
Then finishing off that, that verse, or that chapter in verse 25 of, of, of Isaiah, it says, The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. So there will be perfect harmony between nature and mortal humanity. There will be no climate concerns. There will be no um, animals that will be harming people. There will be no fear of animals anymore. Obviously, our diet must be modified. We probably will not eat meat. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'll just say I don't know. We'll get protein somehow, somewhere, because the people, I say we, those people living will need to eat. I don't know where they're going to get their meat. <laughs> so I don't know that question. Don't know that answer. But we will know that life will be normal as best we can imagine. However, it will be without sin and the constant temptation of evil from the devil because the devil and his demons are bound and thrown in prison for this thousand years. All right. So let's talk about the government. Because whenever you have one or two people, two or three people, there's got to be a government. <laughs> it's got to be politics somehow, some way, right? People will be living under the perfect rule of Christ, and the peoples will grow into a large population under peaceful ruling conditions. Jesus will rule with perfect and immediate justice. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 4, This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, okay, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be reestablished at the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream into it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. So there will be nations. There will be governments. There will be peoples around the world but they're going to be at peace. This is truly a world peace situation. This is what the Antichrist is trying to promise when he comes in and makes the promise with Israel for peace after the, after the, the rapture and beginning the tribulation. The Antichrist will be promising a world of peace, but he can't deliver it. But God will. For a thousand years, God will deliver utopia on earth for a thousand years. King Solomon wrote, Psalms chapter 72, that also describes the godly kingdom of Jesus reigning over the, the nations. And I encourage you, I'm not going to take the time to read that today, but I encourage you to go go read that, Psalm 72. But this is what uh, a commentary, Matthew Walford, says on this passage in Psalm 72. It says that Psalm 72 gives a similar word picture of the righteous reign of Christ, describing righteousness as flourishing and abundance of peace. Christ's dominion is from sea to sea with all kings bowing down to him, all nations serving him, and the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. The major factors of the millennium, therefore, include a perfect and righteous government with Christ ruling in absolute power over the entire earth. Every nation will be under his control, and God's purpose in, is in originally placing man in charge of the Garden of Eden 
will have its ultimate fulfillment. So just to summarize, there will be normal mortal civilization that will be ruled and co-ruled by us in Christ. Right? Resurrected saints. Okay? All, no sin or temptation to sin will be there. All disputes will be settled immediately in a right and truthful manner. The ruling class will be made up of Jesus Christ, the King, and, com- and in complete authority. And the resurrected church, that's us, and all test- Old Testament believers and tribulation saints. We will be resurrected and we will be the ruling class. And this will last for a thousand years. Alright. So, with all that said, Let's go back to our text, Revelations 20, verse 7 through 8. When the thousand years are over, we've just been spending the time discussing the thousand years. Right? That's what we've been talking about, that thousand-year period of time. Now, when that thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand in the seashore. So, let's think about this for a minute. Life is perfect. It's been perfect for a thousand years. Perfect government, perfect environment, perfect peace between man and animals, perfect job enjoyment. You've, you've enjoyed the work of your hands, perfect families. Everything has been great, okay? Certainly, Satan being released for a short period will not have any impact on this, right? I mean... Why would people rebel? Because God has been perfectly to them. So it would seem that Satan can be released for a short time, but to no avail. That's what we would think. That's what we would like to hope. But that's not the way to have. It's not the way to end. Remember that people living that time in that time will still have their sinful, Adamic nature. And are still in need of salvation. All the people that were born and lived in that, during that millennial reign still have a sinful nature. Even though Satan's vanquished, vanquished, even though Satan's not there, mankind, the heart of a man will still be basically evil. It's hard to believe that. So a couple things will happen. Either these people, as when Satan's released, either they will be totally naive in the power of deception because they will never have been deceived for a thousand years. No one will ever have told them a lie and been able to survive. If they did, God judged them immediately. Right? So there's no deception in this thousand-year period of time. It's a perfect situation so if that's the case, maybe these people are easy pickings for the devil because he comes to deceive. But I think a more telling cause here is that because the, the basic sin nature of man still exists, that men are just evil. Men are just evil. Sin came into the world, as Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Even though this is the fact, people don't like to admit that they're basically evil. Even today, people don't like to admit it. They like to think, no, I'm basically a good person. Or, no, people are basically good in nature. Well, I'm going to say they're not. 
They're not. Jeremiah 17, 9-10 says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and is desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all the people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. So even though the outward environment has changed and is perfect, the heart of man isn't. The heart of man isn't now and it won't be then. So therefore, Satan will have great success in deceiving many, many people to follow him and reject God at the end of that thousand years of perfection. Satan goes out to the whole earth with the sole purpose of convincing men to turn their back on God and to choose him to be their God. Remember, Satan's goal is to replace God on the heavenly throne and God's creation. That's, his, that's, that's been his goal forever, and it hasn't changed. So let me, we've just described what's happening on earth for a thousand years. What do you think's been happening to Satan for a thousand years? What do you think he's been doing for a thousand years? <laughs> I think you can describe Satan as being a child that has not been properly disciplined. In other words, here's the worst thing you could do to a child. Give him a good to hard swat. Make him cry, then go tell him to sit in a corner. You haven't really disciplined that child. You just made him mad. <laughs> You've just made him mad, and now he sits in that corner steaming and, and con- conniving, how am I going to get back at my parents? How am I going to... We, we didn't discipline him until you got him to the point where he's willing to listen, then you could talk to him. So here Satan has been that, is that poorly disciplined child sitting in... in, in the dungeon for a thousand years, and now he's schemed up all ways to get back at God. He's going to come back with a vengeance. He's going to come back angrier than ever. And he gathers a large army together, and he's very successful in deceiving the people. Because remember, the people that are there, most of them, the vast majority, only a few of those people that are at the end of the millennium came through the tribulation. Only a few of them understood what, what deception was. Most of them, 99% of them, because most of them will be repopulated, will never have known who the devil is, other than stories. They're going to hear stories, just like we're hearing stories of the Old Testament. They're going to be hearing stories of us, or their parents are going to say, well, in the tribulation or in my past life, these people will have no idea. So they're going to be just totally naive to what deception really is. So Satan will be very successful and gathering a large army. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison, go, to de- go out to deceive nations, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for a battle. In number, they are like sand on the seashore. How many people are deceived? Lots of people. Lots of mortals that have survived through the millennial reign is described as sand on the seashore. It says, they marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. So even though Satan thought he was going to win, God simply sends fire from heaven to defeat and devour the rebelling army led by Satan. I look at this as, remember the, what was the movie? It was um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And uh, the guy's in a knife fight, you know. And he, the guy's got a knife, and the other guy's brandaging the knife, and the guy's going to thing, and, you know, he's going to fight with a knife. And the guy, uh, Harrison Ford, I think, he simply pulls out a gun and shoots him. Boom. <laughs> no knife fight. He just pulls a gun, shoots him. Boom. He's dead. Well, that's the way God's going to do it. 
Satan's going to be there brandishing his knives and all stuff, and God's going to say, no, you're done. Send fire from heaven. You're out. That's it. Finally, finally, God's going to say, I've had enough of you, Satan. I've had enough of you and your deception and all those that rejected me. And he's going to send a fire from heaven, and they will simply be destroyed. Revelations chapter 10, 20, verse 10. And then what happens to Satan? And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This time, Satan is captured the first time he was captured and kept for a thousand years because he was just going to be restrained, this time his capture is for punishment forever and ever. They will be tormented forever. And I, you know, this is something that I think we have, again, have a hard time understanding this because there are some beliefs, some churches, some denominations don't believe in, in eternal punishment. They believe that there will be annihilation. After a certain amount of time of being punished, God will just have mercy on you and you'll just be annihilated and you won't feel it anymore. You'll just, you'll just really die. Or some are saying that after a period of time that maybe you'll come back and actually get be forgiven and maybe taken back into heaven. But, you know, let me just say, there is nothing in the Bible that ever says anything like that. The Bible says that there will be, that they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And there's no other way to interpret that than literally forever. That's why prophecy is so important. That's why studying and understanding and believing prophecy is so important because we need to take the Bible literally. And when, when the Bible says there will be eternal rewards, great, amen, thank you, Jesus. At the same time, it says there are going to be eternal punishments. Jackie, you want to come and help me conclude this one? This is tough stuff, guys. This is really, really important stuff that we understand that God is serious about prophecy. That's why we need to speak about it. That's why we need to understand it. That's why we can't be afraid to talk about it because that might make people a little bit upset, a little bit nervous. That's okay. In fact, it's good. It's good. Because remember what I said at the very beginning? Everything God does is to redeem mankind. He wants us to know this so that we can choose to be redeemed. So let me tell you, for the redeemed, the best is yet to come. The purpose of prophecy is to prove who God is, that he's true and that he's faithful, now and from all time. So this is a time that we need to be taking our lives seriously. I have a little sign out in front of the church, and, I'll leave, and I've set it up there all summertime, all summer long, and I said, God gives us today to prepare for tomorrow. And I pray that we're really doing this. I have great confidence of our church here. I, I, we have a great group of people here, and I, I have great confidence in what you're doing. But, you know, I don't know who's watching this online. There's a few people that do watch this. And I pray that they take this message, these messages seriously because God has great things in store for those that love him. So it's to our benefit that we accept that promise. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I know we've talked about a lot of stuff, and we're going to continue to talk about things as we talk about the rest of Revelation. 
But Lord, there's great promise and great hope in store for all of us today that listen to these words and heed them. Lord, we want that blessing that you've promised us in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. We want that blessing. But Lord, help us to be evangelists to this world. Help us to be missionaries in this world. Help us to take this good news and not just keep it to ourselves. Help us to share it with others so that we can bring others into the kingdom along with us. God, I pray that you protect us from the evil one. I pray that you protect us from the deception of the devil because he can st- still deceive even the, even the, if the, even the elect if, if they would be willing to be deceived. So I pray, God, that you would send your angels to protect us, to protect our, our teaching, to protect, God, our, our life, that we would be kept in a way of listening and wanting to be obedient to you. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Listen, if you need prayer, don't ever hesitate to give me a call. Pastor, rip a call. We want to help you. We want to talk with you. We want to pray with you. We want to make sure that your heart is right and we're all moving in the right path together. Amen? Amen. I want to end this this service today by having communion today. And so I'd like to just invite you to come down, as we always do, come down to the table. And we're just going to enjoy communion. And, you know, especially this day is a special day because, as we learned about last week, um, this is the first day um, of Rosh Hashanah. This is a Jewish festival today. And um, as we learned last week, listening to Jimmy Evans in The Tipping Point, the Rosh Hashanah is is a very special day because it is the beginning of the Jewish New Year, the head of the year. And let me just read a couple of the other names, some of the other names that are given to this feast. It's called Rosh Hashanah is the, the head of the year. It's also known as the Feast of Trumpets. It's also known as Yam Terah, Day of Blowing. Yam Hadin, Day of Judgment. It's also known as Yam Hazikran, the Day of Remembrance. It's also known as the Wedding Day of the Messiah. The wedding day speaks of rapture. This is also known as the day that no one knows of the hidden day. These are Jewish words, names for this holiday. You see, the Jews believe, the Orthodox Jews believe, the Feast of Trumpets, which is this holiday, this Jewish holiday, high holiday, is when the Messiah will come. But they believe for the first time. Because they don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah. So they're expecting the Messiah to come on this holiday. But for the first time, the Feast of Trumpets was a gathering of the Jews together out of the harvest. And I really like what Jimmy Evans said last week about we are in the harvest today and we're doing the work of harvesting souls. And when the Feast of Trumpets comes, that's calling the harvesters back into relationship calling the harvesters back from their work because he's going to reward them and he's going to judge those others. So this is a big day, guys. It, it started at 10 o'clock this morning. It's a two-day festival today and tomorrow. And remember, we're on Jewish time. We're in Israel time, not Michigan time. <laughs> but um, So this is a great holiday for the Jews and it could be a great holiday for us. So I, I'm not setting dates. I don't know. But Jesus very well could come back today or tomorrow. Are you ready? 
Are you excited? Do you anticipate that? You know, and and if he doesn't, he could come back any day. So this is a good time to be anticipated. And that's why I think communion is a really good time for us to come down and remember, remember what it's about. So come with me and let's just share the table together. Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. For the mercies of Jesus we just thank you again for this day today we thank you for worship that we had and just the presence of the lord lord i thank you for the the prayers of healing that we prayed today and our our belief and our confidence god that you're healing you're doing the work and your people and god we thank you for the table that we just celebrated god i pray you go with us now throughout this day and help us to be mindful of what this day means and not just this day but tomorrow and and if you tarry god the days thereafter God, we know that your time, that your coming is imminent. It's just a matter of time, and we're going to be in the very presence of our Creator. We're going to stand in the very presence, or most likely fall at the feet, wrap our wrap ourselves around the feet of Jesus. It's just a matter of time, God, and we look forward to that time. So help us to be living lives that are honoring you, pleasing you in the process. Give us strength to do so and protect us again from the evil one today. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And may be blessed. Enjoy your day today.